hello to all of you. Uh, welcome. I'm Anthony Scaramucci. I hope you've been enjoying these podcasts. Uh, the goal here is always to give you a real glimpse of how things really work professionally and personally. You can see that we're promoting the book. I get a lot of Twitter uh, trolls attacking me for the book promotion. But how else am I going to sell the book? i got to let people know that we have one, right? So here it is, hopping over the rabbit hole. How Entrepreneurs Turn Failure into Success, which is the topic of this podcast. Because let me tell you something, if you are an entrepreneur out there listening, what do you know about entrepreneurship? It looks way better on paper. It looks way better glamorized in Entrepreneur Magazine than it really is in real life. So let's get to the podcast. It's an intense focus to achieve success, and the road is winding. Uh, For those of you who don't know who I am. I'm the founder of the global investment firm Skybridge Capital. Uh, I also am a Fox News and Fox Business contributor. I host a show uh, with my good friend Gary Kaminsky, who has been a guest on this podcast. Uh, It's called Wall Street Week. It's on the Fox Business Channel at 8 p.m. on a Friday night, and we replay it on Saturday and Sunday at 9 a.m. We've got some great guests coming up this weekend, uh, so please tune in. I've written now three books, The Little Book of Hedge Funds, Goodbye Gordon Gecko. I was at a university yesterday, and the kids looked at me, their eyes were glazed over. They didn't know who Gordon Gecko was. And so, I had to, so I had to explain to them who Gordon Gecko was, the, uh, the protagonist slash antagonist of the first movie, Wall Street, which came out in 1987, before many of these millennials were born. But what uh, Gordon Gecko stood for in that era, the roaring 80s, He stood for the culture of greed and and the culture of excessiveness. And his famous slogan, which was a composite taken from Ivan Bosky, who was a corporate raider that ended up going to jail at that time, uh, he said in an address to a group, he said, greed is good. Uh, And so the point of my book, Goodbye Gordon Gecko, was to say goodbye to the notion that greed is good. I'm not saying that greed is necessarily bad. All of us are obviously somewhat greedy. What I was really trying to reference in the book, though, is that you have to stick to your solid values, the things that you were anchored with as a kid. Uh, ultimately, those are the things that will lead to your best level of success and happiness. Uh, because if you're measuring the success only by the amount of money that you're making, boy, that is absolutely the, mo- the worst, most terrible thing to do. So we have to really focus on uh, what we like doing, and then we also have to focus on helping other people. You do those two things, you're going to make a lot of dough, check, and then you'll also be happy. And those are those are the things I write about in this book. So uh, just to reiterate, uh, I live about two miles from my mom and dad. That's the, They live in the same house that I grew up in. Um, you know, yeah, l- listen, I mean, uh, you know, the Italian families on Long Island, at least the area that I grew up in, let's keep the fun in the word dysfunctional, right? So I'm not trying to make it like it was an idyllic thing or anything like that. There was a lot, a lot of food fighting and fist fighting in that house. But having said that, uh, these people love my brother and me and my sister very much. And so I like living out there near them because it's a very good grounding wire uh, in terms of staying focused on what's important as opposed to getting sucked up in this, the sort of nonsense that you can get sucked up in if you're focused on money and status. In fact, Yesterday at the uh, fantastic Sacred Heart University up in Fairfield, Connecticut, uh, somebody asked me a question, and I'm going to respond to the question here because I think it was relevant. They said, well, how do you stay grounded if you're doing a lot of uh, highfalutin things? And the, and the answer to that question is you have to work on that. 
uh, because I see people in the media who are sucked into the airtime and the television, and all of a sudden they get super self-important and they're nasty to their makeup artist or their hairstylist or their hair colorist, things like that. Uh, and that's like really stupid to do. Or they get mean-spirited to their producer or they think that they're too important to say hello to potential fans as they're walking in and out of a studio. And so uh, I tell people there's only one way to do that, and that is to stay grounded. And hopefully uh, that will never be me. That's certainly not me right now. And I have a standing order with Gary Schreier, who's one of the king uh, pin producers at Fox Business. If I ever start acting like a media diva, I want him to karate chop me right in the Adam's apple, take the wind out of me. Uh, I sort of think that stuff is ridiculous. Um, so... Uh, some of the listeners hopefully can relate to this stuff. Uh, I'm in my uh, fancy pants suit today, um, but my favorite attire is cargo shorts, which I'm about to put on when this podcast is over. I pride myself in taking risks, but for me, it's really risks on people and ideas. Uh, a lot of that is in this book, Hopping Over the Rabbit Hole. People like the sugarcoat success. Uh, they have a hermetically sealed narrative about their lives, and so what happens is you bump, rock, and roll, and you hit a lot of divots in life, uh, but then you become successful, and so you go back and you sanitize and erase uh, the chalkboard of what it actually looked like, and then you try to pretend to people that you've had this 45-degree angle and slope of success. Uh, I think that's obviously a bunch of nonsense. On paper, uh, I got a pretty good story to tell. I went to Tufts and Harvard Law School, spent some time at Goldman Sachs, founded two businesses, this being the second, Skybridge Capital. I sit on some fancy pants boards, but that really means that I give money to a lot of different charities. And so uh, it looks great on paper, uh, but I really wanted to put it down on paper what it's really, really like. Because at the end of the day, if you want to know about desperation, self-consciousness, insecurity, uh, status consciousness, where, geez, you're really not doing well in your business or your career, uh, and so you're super worried about showing up at a cocktail party and having to face the music of your friends and uh, and people in your community that your business S-U-C-Ks, uh, that's in this book. Um, and so I'm not exaggerating when I say there were several moments in my career uh, where I was racking up high six-figure student loan debt. Uh, I was fired from Goldman Sachs. I write about it again in this book because I think it's relevant uh, to my career success. Uh, and I talk about the founding and the foundation of Skybridge, which was we actually started this business as a hedge fund incubation company, uh, but it turned out that our hedge fund incubation business was terrible. Uh, why was it terrible? We sucked at being hedge fund incubators, and that's just the truth. And so we had to then pivot into a different business. While we were pivoting and trying to figure that out, we had the worst financial crisis in 81 years. Uh, so the global financial crisis hit, uh, I guess the demarcation date would be September of 2008, September the 15th to be exact. Uh, but you could feel the rumblings of it through late 2007 into early 2008. Uh, and our business was frankly in crisis. We saw uh, our portfolios go from $450 million under management to about 250. Uh, and so this is like a, a shot going through your forehead, little pinhole over here, but you don't see that the back of your skull has been blown out. And so what I try to write about in Goodbye, Gordy Gecko, and now hopping over the rabbit hole is the real things that happen on the journey 
of an entrepreneur as opposed to the Santa side stuff. So, so I, I want to stress this and I'll continue to stress this over and over again. If you decide to be an entrepreneur, the number one thing that you have to have in your personality is grit and perseverance. Uh, because there's guaranteed, you may have thought of a thousand things that could go wrong and you may have a beautifully written business school plan or some kind of nonsense like that, a concept. But like Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until they're punched in the face. And after you're punched in the face, you have to reorganize. Uh, I'm often thinking about the 101st Airborne that were dropped five miles off of where they were supposed to be. Um, and they were surrounded by the enemy on the 5th of June. And so it was an evening drop before the Normandy invasion in France. Uh, these poor guys uh, were dropped five miles away from where they were supposed to be, and they had to fight their way out in a 360-degree angle surrounded by the enemy, okay, to bridge themselves back to the beach and the U.S. Army that was coming in on the landing craft. And so a lot of that is relevant to being an entrepreneur uh, because your plans have to be adjusted, and you have to be in there. You have to be uh, totally diligent about what you're doing. And so uh, my partners and I, we didn't panic. We came up with creative ideas. Uh, we tried to reinvent ourselves. And I think one of the things that saved Skybridge was the invention of what ultimately became the Skybridge Salt Conference, or what we call Skybridge Alternatives. Uh, it's now in its ninth year, if you haven't heard of it. Uh, we have the biggest hedge fund slash financial industry conference in the country, uh, it's really much more than that to me because I'm really, we're really trying to make this about alternative thought leadership as opposed to anything else. I'd like to say that the Skybridge Alternatives Conference, SALT, is about alternative thinking more than it is about alternative investing. But we bring politicians, business leaders, athletes, entertainers, leading investors. Uh, they all descend upon the Bellagio Hotel in Las Vegas for three days of nonstop learning, networking. But what's super important to me for a conference like this is that people have a lot of fun. When my partner, Victor Oviedo, came to me with the idea to launch the conference in 2009, I honestly didn't like the idea. I thought it was actually insane because we were in the fund of funds slash hedge fund incubation business. And so what were we going to do being in the conference business? It seemed like the two businesses were disparate and unconnected. In fact, uh, when we put this thing to vote, there were seven of us that voted, and what ended up happening uh, is two people voted yes, that was me and Victor, five people voted no, they basically said that it wasn't a, uh, a, a good idea, and I write about it hopping over the rabbit hole, that sometimes as an entrepreneur uh, and the CEO of a company, you have to exert yourself and go against consensus, even if it's your own managerial consensus, and so we ended up starting that conference uh, we had two months to get it off the ground. We made the decision to go in March of 2009. Uh, the conference was the first week in May 2009. We had 350 people uh, at that event. Not so bad for an industry conference at the bottom of the market. I actually ran into the former mayor of Las Vegas, Oscar Goodman, at the debate in Las Vegas this past week. Uh, he had given uh, Skybridge the key to the city, uh, because we came into the town at a time when it was absolutely brutal uh, in the city of Las Vegas. You could blow a cannonball through many of those hotels. Uh, and I think what people forgot about uh, not going to Vegas or when President Obama said, now is not the time to go to Vegas. Well, guess what? You have a burgeoning middle class there. 
of porters and maids and bellhops and concierge staff uh, that are directly benefited by the conference business. And so good news is uh, we struck at the bottom of the market. Uh, it looks like a brilliant thing to have done. Uh, but the truth of the matter is we didn't know if it was going to be brilliant or a going away party like our uh, ship had hit the Titanic, uh, SS Skybridge had hit, the th- hit an iceberg, and we were having a farewell party. We didn't know until after the fact. And that's a lot of what happens in entrepreneurship. Something looks very brilliant in hindsight, uh, uh, and you can't really tell whether it's going to work uh, when you're getting it started. Uh, a lot of this stuff I try to address in hopping over the rabbit hole. So my, my biggest uh, feeling, my biggest message of this book, in addition to the perseverance and the grit, is the culture of the firm that you're trying to organize around yourself. Uh, One of the key hallmarks of success that I have found is that you have to work with people uh, and not have people work for you. Uh, If you think about the way you use language and you structure language, the team is about we and the team is about our as opposed to me and mine and I. Uh, If you can get the culture right and you get the language right in your organization, uh, you're going to have a lot of fun. So, so with our conference, we had some of the, uh, the biggest names there. It was uh, from President Bill Clinton to George W. Bush, Richard Branson, Kobe Bryant, Mark Cuban. Uh, we do a lot of stuff with the military charity. So we've had General Petraeus, Secretary Panetta. Just a fun story on uh, Secretary Panetta, the former CIA director and the Secretary of Defense. I was standing in the debate hall at University of uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and he walks over to me. He says, Anthony. I said, Secretary Panetta, how are you? He says, I'm doing great. He goes, did you bring Al Pacino to the debate? And I said, no, I didn't, sir. And he was making reference to the fact that uh, a couple of years back, we had a small dinner at the SALT conference, and it was really a celebration of Italian-Americans. I mean, we had Panetta there, uh, we had Pacino there, and a whole host of uh, my fellow Italian friends. So it was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but the point, point I'm making is you don't get those things done by yourself. Uh, you have to have a collective around you. You have to have a team that's willing to subordinate their egos for something more purposeful uh, than their own individual achievements or their own individual career. So super, super important on that. Uh, John Maynard Keynes said that uh, most people would rather fail conventionally than succeed unconventionally, meaning it's in our DNA, our biological design, to avoid risk. The flip side of that, Keynes also said that in our spirits or in our personalities are the embeddedness of the animal spirits of the nature of human beings. And so there's a risk element in the sense that we want to achieve great success. We want to obviously do it with the least amount of risk. Unfortunately, those things are not compatible. And so you have to go out there. You have to actually step off the ledge. I write about that fear in this book. I talk about and I think we did a podcast on this a few weeks back about palpable fear and managing your fear. And I often think about Steve Jobs saying this, is that we're here on this planet for a very short period of time. He gave a commencement address in 2005 at Stanford, and he basically told those graduates, it's hard to believe now, they're 32, 33 years old, those guys uh, that came out of Stanford the day 
that Steve Jobs gave his commencement address. I encourage you to go to YouTube, find that commencement address, or read that transcript. Because what he's basically saying is you're here on the planet for a very short period of time. And the things that you fear are probably getting in the way of your achievements. And so uh, he tells those people in that audience to just imagine your life if you could achieve or it could work out exactly the way you want with no fear of failure, would you go for it? Would you do it? What would your life look like? Uh, And I do try to address the elements of that in this book and why that's so important. So here's a couple of lessons that I write about. Never stand still. I'm a firm believer that you're either moving forward or backward. By the way, that's not only in your business, but it's also in your relationships. Relationships don't stay stagnant. Uh, There was a terrific guy, and I I give him a big shout-out in this book. His name is Stephen Lessing. He's still a senior client relationship manager at Barclays. Uh, When I was at Lehman Brothers uh, 10, 12 years ago, uh, he was a very senior guy there, uh, and he used to give us a lecture that I want to share with you is basically that relationships, people, businesses, they don't stay stagnant. You have to move forward. Uh, You have to stay in touch with the people that you love or you care about, uh, it's not to say that you can't pick it up again, uh, but it's definitely important to keep those things going. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Harvey McKay, a best-selling author. Uh, his first book was Swim with the Sharks, but his second book, which I think is even better than his first book, was called uh, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty, and it's about network development, staying in contact with people, uh, not being stationary, accepting that life is always changing Uh, And that's the way you try to stay ahead of the curve and be proactive. One other key element of success, when you make a mistake, admit it. Have the self-awareness in your personality uh, to accept the fact that you made a mistake and make a course correction. Back in the summer of 2014, uh, we had two very successful SALT conferences in Singapore, one in 2012, one in 2013. We had book dates at the Marina Bay Sands hotel for October of 2014 to have another phenomenal SALT conference. Got the dates wrong. We ended up selecting a weekend where there was a major national holiday. Uh, Victor and I had no idea about the culture in Singapore, and uh, obviously we, we, we wouldn't have picked July 4th, but we ended up picking a date that was around their national holiday, and it turned out that half of the business community was not going to be in town, and many of the streets were closed. So the uh, Department of Interior there and tourism came to us and said, geez, this is not going to be the best date for you guys. What do you want to do? We looked at the analysis of the situation. We were going to lose a minimum of $1.2 million on that conference because of our mistake. So Victor and I got together. We called the Marina Bay Sands. We said, listen, we're very, very sorry. We have to get out of our contract. We explained to them why. And they said, okay. And we paid them a fee. We probably lost $250,000 as opposed to $1 million. But if I had my ego in a certain area where I didn't want to embarrass myself to people and just push the conference, uh, then it would have been a disaster for us. And so it it wouldn't have worked out anyway, and we would end up losing all of that money. And so you have to admit mistakes. Uh, Sometimes... There, you, you can't go back. Sometimes you have to turn a lemon into lemonade. We were able to, we had signed a contract with Dr. Ben Bernanke to be our keynote speaker at that event. 
And so we asked him to go to Tokyo for us, and we held a symposium there for 150 of our best institutional clients in Tokyo with Dr. Bernanke. I interviewed him, and then we took those uh, people out to dinner. Uh, And that was a sand save term from golf where you hit the ball out of the sand trap and you get it up on the green. And so for us uh, and, and for all entrepreneurs out there, you have to accept and this is the only thing I can predict for you with great certainty, uh, is that you're going to have unpredictable events happen and you are going to make a mistake. Your tactical and strategic decisions are going to go wrong. When they do go wrong, uh, it's your temperament, it's your fortitude, it's your character, and it's your ability, your self-recognition, your self-awareness that are going to get you through those things. So I think it's super important. A couple of fun stories I put in the book. Uh, about uh, uh, selling everything from seeds, newspapers. Uh, I talked about my first entrepreneurial failure where, where I rented a hood ice cream truck. I still can't believe I did this. I mean, and this is another thing, uh, talking about greed. Uh, my dad has a great expression that greed always overcomes wisdom if you're not careful. And so there I was. Uh, I had just gotten accepted to Harvard Law School, feeling pretty smug about that. Uh, and I was planning a trip to Italy because I said, oh, this is going to be great. Take a three-week trip to Italy. I had a couple of dollars saved. And my, uh, my manager at Espresso's Pizzeria, right there on Boston Avenue, right by the Tufts campus, he said to me, listen, man, I rented a hood ice cream truck last year, and I doubled my money. I put $2,000 of uh, ice cream inventory into the truck, and I rang the bell. By the way, there is nothing more fun than ringing the ice cream truck bell and having the little kids <laughs> run towards the truck. I got to tell you, it's unbelievable. In fact, there was one of my daughter's birthday parties, and I got a picture of this in my office, where I had this guy Yanni from Manhasset. If you've got Manhasset listeners or viewers, you know Yanni. He's the old Greek guy that has that ice cream. That ice cream truck, has been he's been driving that thing for 45 years. But I said, listen, here's a couple hundred bucks. Let me drive the truck for a few hours with my kids. And we went around ringing the bell. But there I was. I rented this truck, and I got myself annihilated because uh, I was going to sell ice cream during the Patriots Day in Boston, which is the Boston Marathon, and I had no hedge in the sense that uh, I couldn't predict the weather. And so instead of this bright, sunny, early spring day, we had this very cloudy late winter day, and I got absolutely annihilated. I lost, uh, I lost the money that I put down, frankly, and I had to abandon my trip to Italy. I like bringing this story up to people because it's the doctrine of what does happen in life as opposed to the doctrine of what you would like to see happen in life. And so you have to be prepared as an entrepreneur to admit your failure. Uh, One thing I do mention in hopping over the rabbit hole, so I remember going back onto campus and telling my buds what I did. And some of them laughed and said, well, good for you, at least you tried. Those guys are running their own business. Those men and women are running their own business. Some of them were like, you're like a complete idiot. You know, why would you even do that? Most of those people have never become entrepreneurs. And so it just speaks to the diagnostics, the self-diagnosis of your temperament and what you're capable of. Uh, can you absorb risk? Are you willing to admit your failure? And can you be in a situation where you're at a cocktail party where things are not going super well for you uh, and you don't have to necessarily save face for that? You can, you can talk to people openly about whatever your self-consciousness is or your insecurities. Uh, so, so another quick story, then I'm going to move on. Uh, I'm at Goldman Sachs. I ran into my old boss's wife. 
uh, Ann McNulty at the Alfred E. Smith dinner where the uh, it's a Catholic charity here in New York, very famous for always inviting the two presidential candidates. Uh, they've been doing this dinner for 71 years. Uh, I think just about every presidential candidate over that period of time has come, although someone told me last night that Lyndon Johnson did not come mm-hmm. in 1964 out of respect for the first Catholic uh, president. Uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1963. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to come uh, and tell jokes at a Catholic charity him and Barry Goldwater, and so they honored the, the president by not showing up. Again, I don't even know if that's true, but I thought it was an interesting story. But I, I bring this up because I'm with John McNulty's uh, uh, widow, uh, his wife, and John McNulty was the uh, head of Goldman Sachs Asset Management. He was a very young partner at Goldman, a brilliant man. He suffered a heart attack in 1994 at a very young age. Uh, he died at age 53, uh, so he was 42 years old when he had his first heart attack. And so they did the things you need to do to protect his heart. Uh, He lived, unfortunately, only 11 more years, and he passed away of another heart attack suddenly at the age of 53, which is an age that I'm bearing in on right now. Uh, Left three beautiful kids and a terrific wife. And I write about him in Hopping Over the Rabbit Hole because one of the regrets I have in my life is I didn't spend more time with him uh, getting his advice, getting his mentorship. I probably had an opportunity to work for him inside of Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Uh, I probably could have used a little bit more seasoning before I left Goldman Sachs to start my first business. And uh, I think it's an instructive lesson in this book because no matter who you are or what you're doing, you're going to have regrets about your past. It's just the way it is. Uh, I don't care if you're 22 and you're listening to this thing or you're 72. There's things that have happened in your past. You took certain roads you made certain decisions. Maybe you were too impetuous when you got married. Maybe you made uh, a, a bad job decision or you went into a bad industry for yourself. Things do happen in life. Flip side is you don't want to look too far forward either. Uh, Lao Tzu, uh, very famous Chinese philosopher, has an amazing line, which I'll paraphrase for all of you guys. In his teachings, he basically told his students, Don't spend too much time dwelling upon the past because if you dwell on the past, you'll get filled with depression. There will be things about your life uh, that you regret. You made bad decisions on it. So if you're focused on the past, you'll be filled with depression. Flip side, don't spend too much time worried about the future because if you are thinking about the future and you're worried about the future, you'll get filled with anxiety because your future is uncertain. So the happiest people are the ones that can live in the present and focus on the day-to-day and just enjoy their surroundings wherever they may be. You have to do that as an entrepreneur. Um, One other thing you have to do as an entrepreneur is you have to deal with conflict directly. Uh, You can't be passive-aggressive. Every organization has politics. The best organizations are the ones that can create this culture of openness and transparency that I'm describing. But for sure, there's going to be backbiting and sniping because – Guess what happens? Uh, uh, Organizations, companies are a collection of human beings. And guess what human beings do to each other? They backbite. They complain. They snipe. Uh, What I write about in the book is that you got to do your very best to avoid those sorts of things in business uh, because you really will stand out. You really will shine as an exemplary person and somebody that can add a tremendous amount of value. Uh, I, I tell a funny story in Hopping Over the Rabbit Hole about a Myers-Briggs personality test that all managing directors at Lehman Brothers were asked to take. And I went up to the personnel area. I took my Myers-Briggs test, and 
It tells you if you're introverted or extroverted. It tells you if you're analytical or not and all this sort of stuff. And then when you're done taking the test, for fun, they show you what your personality type is based on the test. And then they show you what the other managing director's personality types are like. And it turned out that less than 4% of Lehman Brothers managing directors had my personality type. Now, the, the problem with my personality type it was diametrically opposed to what Dick Fold's personality was. And by the way, I love Dick, and not that Dick would ever listen to one of these podcasts, but I thought he was an incredibly stand-up guy, uh, and he's somebody that I really admired. Uh, maybe someday we'll do a podcast on what happened at Lehman Brothers. Some of it certainly was his fault. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, that, that company, if they were saving all those other companies, they could have clearly came up with a way to save Lehman Brothers. But, but my personality was diametrically opposed to his personality. And I remember the personnel director looking at me saying, like, you know, you're not long for this place, buddy. Let me put it to you that way. And I laughed. And one short year later, I was out the door trying to start Skybridge. And so my point is you have to find jobs that work for you. Uh, you have to be uh, a person that's willing to adapt, accept change. You have to be a creative person, but that doesn't mean you have to invent everything yourself. You know, Steve Jobs didn't invent the smartphone. He just saw a way of changing a mobile phone into a smart computer. Uh, oh, someone is asking me, what are my personality type letters? That is a really good question. I honestly wish I could remember, but I know the first one was I was extroverted. Uh, I was not as analytical as you're supposed to be. Uh, and you know what I got to do? I'm going to find that thing at home, and I'll tweet out what my personality type was. But but the first one was an E for sure. I do remember that, the extroverted one. Um, I think there was also one about self-reflection, and I didn't score super high on the brooding aspect of it. I scored high on self-awareness, but not really on the you know self-flagellation piece where you get overly critical on yourself. And that, that's something I always tell people. Uh, you've got to be very careful of perfectionism because you can't be perfect as an entrepreneur. You just have to go with things. You know, Reed Hoffman, uh, the founder of LinkedIn, mm -hmm. uh, gave a great speech once. I was at Singularity University, started by Peter Diamandis, and, and Reed Hoffman basically said to me, uh, not to me, but the whole group, he said, if I waited for the LinkedIn website to be perfect, I never would have launched the website. And his point is, sometimes you just have to go with what you have. But I have to come back to you on what my uh, Myers-Briggs uh, four letters were. But the bottom line was, they weren't <laughs> Dick Folds four letters. I could tell you that. And so that was probably the reason why it was a good idea to move on. Although Dick was very helpful to me when I started Skybird, so I'll always be very fond of him. The, the, the idea about creativity, which I just want to reference, Jobs, he does not create the phone. He doesn't even create the smartphone but he improves upon the existing technologies, revolutionizes the world. Uh, Howard Schultz certainly doesn't invent coffee. Howard Schultz doesn't even invent the salon experience of drinking coffee. Uh, this is from Chan Sung. What's the best way to find a job as a recent college grad? Okay, that's a good question. Well, the number one thing I tell college students or, or recent or about to uh, graduate students, you've got to really think about what you like from age 11 to 18. And so I don't know what that is for you. I know what it was for me. I enjoyed the process of meeting new people, and I enjoyed the process of selling. And I write in hopping over the rabbit hole 
uh, about my newspaper route or uh, knocking on doors in my neighborhood to shovel snow or to mow lawns. And the things that I got a lot of pleasure from at that point in my life was the interaction with the other people. And so, you know, it, it seemed natural then for my business, when my business formed, that I would be more on the selling, more on the communication side of the business. So what I would say to you is you've got to really be honest with yourself and pick something that you love, love, love to do and then embark upon that career. Then you got to do something that's very hard for people to do. And that is you have to throw yourself out there and you have to meet strangers. And boy, I'll tell you, this is the hardest thing for people to do because when you're trying to meet strangers, you don't want to be overly transparent and make it a transactional uh, thing. You're meeting them for the purpose of a job. So you have to try to go and meet with people and ask them for advice like the way you're asking me for this advice right now. Um, so, so I just point, point that out to you. Find something you like. Uh, go into that industry and reach out to people that are senior in that industry. Ask them for advice uh, and then start the process of networking. I did mention uh, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. Harvey McKay wrote, wrote a great book about this sort of networking experience. So Jobs doesn't create the phone. Schultz doesn't create the coffee. But they dramatically change the experience. They take these two commodities and they make them experiential for the user. That's something that we're trying to do here at Skybridge. I don't know how to say this to you any better than I I mean, we're designed to get mad at each other, and we're designed to hold grudges. And if you're Italian and you've gone to, like, an old Italian village where the women wear black after the, the husband dies and they hate their next-door neighbor and they hate them for generations, or you live in the Middle East where, for whatever reasons, people that are supposed to be brothers and come from the, seven, the same seven tribes, they want to go after each other, I'm telling you, you have to figure out a way in your personality to drop the grudges. I probably still, uh, and I'm not perfect, so it's probably like one or two people I still really hate in my life, okay, in terms of people that did things to me that I hold a grudge about. But the other people, whatever those indiscretions were, whatever those tiny things that they did, let the grudge go. Uh, the Buddha has a great line, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, but the anger is a cup of poison that you're drinking yourself hoping that the other person dies, and so you gotta, you gotta, you gotta not have grudges. Okay, you gotta really try to do that. You gotta also try to find good partners. Uh, this is important. Uh, it's critical to your success in business. And good partners are a balance of different things. One, they all have to have the same moral compass, the same core of good ethics and integrity. Uh, but they can be people that are very different from you. Uh, they have to have complementary skills. If you're an extrovert, try to f find some introverted people or more analytical people. If you're a sales-oriented person, find people that are going to do the money management side or the process side. Another big lesson from Steve Jobs. Uh, when he was kicked out of Apple and forced into his own company, uh, he said he made a very big mistake. His realization was that he, he, he didn't focus on and fall in love with the engineers at the early part of his life because he was more on the marketing side, more of a salesperson. He thought that was more important. And what he recognized was when he came back to Apple, he had to spend a tremendous amount of time, energy, and money on recruiting the best engineers. Uh, and so I'd say, say to you, if you're the salesperson, focus on the manufacturing. Give love to the manufacturing people. If you're a manufacturer, focus on giving love to the salespeople. Put it in balance. I'm not going to name the names of these firms on Wall Street, but sometimes 
There, there, there are firms on Wall Street where the leader comes from a specific division, and so therefore they want the whole firm to look like that division or have that division's culture, and that can be horrifically damaging to the long-term brand and the long-term cultural success of that organization. Okay, I'll let you figure out who that is. Uh, you got to hire people that are willing, and this is a sports metaphor, but you got to hire people that are willing to be linemen. Uh, you know, I, I say in the book, hire the linemen. You don't necessarily have to hire the quarterbacks. If you're going to hire quarterbacks, you better hire the team-oriented quarterbacks. Uh, not everybody can play quarterback. You know when you're a kid playing football, everybody wants to be the quarterback. It's the most fun position. And since the quarterbacks in the NFL marry supermodels, uh, that probably makes it even more fun. Uh, but at the end of the day, you need the tremendous amount of guts, no-glory linemen to help you get the job done. Critical. Critical in this book, and I have a whole chapter in this book on networking. Uh, it's absolutely critical to your success. It's critical to your success in life. Um, I talk about uh, making that network an experience. Uh, uh, Mark Cuban was at our conference, He's uh, and I thank Mark for endorsing the back of my book and saying kind things about it. But Mark C Cuban once said at our uh, SALT conference is that he views selling as a consultation. He views selling as an advisement, uh, helping somebody as opposed to pushing a product on them. And what I write about in the book is that I view networking as just a, a, an ability to reach out to other people uh, to try to build a uh, experience. Uh, the last one and perhaps the most important one, and this is the most critical thing I can say to anybody out there. If I don't care if you're an actress, I don't care if you are a uh, salesperson, uh, professional athlete, uh, you pick the career. You're going to be in media. You're going to be in design. You want to be on the air on television. You want to be a radio talk show host. Whatever it is that you want to be, the number one thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to believe in yourself. Now, let's face it. If you had good parents, uh, they probably filled your head with a lot of self-esteem-oriented stuff. Uh, one of the big problems, I think, about the millennial generation is I think the parenting of people in my generation were a little too crazy with the whole self-esteem movement. So we're like giving out uh, trophies. Somebody comes in ninth place for soccer, they're getting a participation trophy. Okay, so that, that weakens somebody's self-esteem. It doesn't enhance it, actually, because they sort of know that they're getting it, uh, whether they're accomplishing something or they're not. Uh, and so the big, the big issue, the big issue here uh, uh, that I want to reference, and I'm going to get to Brian's question in a second. Just hang in there, Brian. But the, the big issue here that I would say to you, which is super important, is that you have to believe in yourself. Um, and if you didn't come from the right parents or you hate your parents or you're not talking to them or you don't have the right family structure, you have to design and create that self-image for yourself internally. It's a forced change of mindset. So the first thing you have to do is drop the victimization and the self-pity. Because at the end of the day, I think self-pity is like probably the worst thing you can do to yourself. Anytime you're feeling sorry for yourself, go stick your head in a, uh, a big keg of ice. Okay, wake yourself up. You've got nothing to feel sorry about. Everybody's on their own journey in life. Uh, and so don't compare yourself to other people. Define your success by walking on and contributing to your own journey. So you have to believe in yourself, have to believe you're enough. Uh, this uh, question is from Brian. I started a business, and I am an introvert. And I spend so much time trying to be an extrovert. Do you have any tips? Okay, it's a really good question. I would tell you right now, you don't have to be an extrovert. 
Uh, there's a great book, and Darcy, maybe you can dig it up for me. We'll put it on my Twitter feed about how uh, introversion, it was written like two or three years ago, introversion in many businesses is a big benefit. Michael Dell is an introvert in some ways, even though Jeff Bezos has developed into being a great presenter, he started out as an introvert. The point that I'm making is that it's okay to embrace your introversion. Uh, you don't have to force yourself out of your style box. However, however, um, I always recommend to people that are introverted to take a Dale Carnegie course on human relations or human development or take a public speaking course or go to your local Toastmasters or, or get into an environment where you are comfortable or you're with either a group of friends or friendly strangers and you can experiment. I watch people that come on television. They can either come on my show or I can be a guest on somebody else's show and they're a guest alongside of me. And I can tell right away if they're comfortable with the lights if they're comfortable with the cameras, or if they're thinking about potentially millions of people behind the lens. And if they're thinking about the millions of people behind the lens, boy, you can see their heart tighten. You can see the pain in their stomach, and you can see their whole body change. Uh, and so what I find is you have to practice that. Um, uh, you, have a, uh, you have a learning curve on this stuff. And so, and so you know, for me, even, even me, I mean, I mean my, my wife is like, that's no way that that's true, but it actually is. When I first got on television, my heart was pounding. I was self-conscious. I was overly worried about what I was saying. And then I was doing something that was really bad. I was doing something that I call word shotgunning, and Susan will know what I mean by this. Yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> there's a host who's going to ask me a question, but I've already prepared whatever I'm going to say. So the host could say, you know, what color is the sky? And I say, well, the interest rates are going to move, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not listening to what the host is saying. Yeah. I'm just verbally shotgunning the words out there uh, because I had prepared myself before I went on. And then I, it dawned on me that I'm going to be smart enough. I just got to relax. Nice. You know, uh, we had uh, Jeb Bush, who, uh, you know, look, I'm a huge fan of the, uh, the governor of Florida, and I was one of his supporters. And I had him on Wall Street Week last December, mm -hmm. and we were talking about presentation, and we were talking about his television appearances. And not that I'm trying to media train Governor Bush, but what I did say to him is you've preparing something. So when somebody like Megyn Kelly is asking you the question, you're giving her a canned shotgunned answer, not necessary. You're smart enough. If you only get 65 or 70% out of what you think you're going to say, you'll still come across smart, but more importantly, you're going to come across very authentic. You just want to be who you are. And so, Brian, on the introversion, I would tell you it's okay to be introverted. Embrace it. Try to hire some salespeople that you think of got better outside skills. Uh, but I do find something that I think is, is, is sort of weird about life. If you're an extrovert, you scorn introverts. And if you're an introvert, for some reason, you have to scorn the extroverts. Either you're jealous of them or upset with them or you want to you step on their neck. And I would say don't do either. Uh, try to embrace the differences uh, because you need all of these sorts of people to build a successful team. Uh, so those are some of the highlights from hopping over the rabbit hole. But there's plenty more in the book. It's a quick, easy, honest read. Uh, boy, I talk about a lot of the ups and downs. Um, you know, I talk about having to wear a uh, mouth brace for teeth grinding. I didn't mention my psoriasis, but I can tell you when the markets are not doing well, I could scratch my head for 10 days, okay? So we all have these, like, stress affectations. Uh, I don't know anybody that has a perfect life experience. I don't know anybody's business that has gone perfectly uh, I was on Barry Ritholtz's uh, podcast a couple of years ago, and Barry's going to be joining us, I think, next week. 
uh, and we were talking about Michael Dell. I got in a very lucky situation early in my career. Michael Dell's business was blowing up in 1993. His laptop computers were catching on fire, similar to the Samsung 7. Mm -hmm. And so he had a product recall. The stock dropped about 80%, and he was running out of cash at the corporate level. He had a bid to sell the company to Compact Computer for a couple hundred million dollars. He was only a 29-year-old guy. That would have been a very successful career, but he hung in there. And he came to Goldman Sachs, and he sold a convertible bond. Uh, Dell went on to become one of the richest people in the United States and built an unbelievable business. Brian, big-time introvert, by the way, incredibly nice guy, but big-time introvert. And I happened to be the sales captain on that deal, so I got a lot of credit for the deal. The deal would have happened one way or another because the Goldman Sachs would have made, made that deal successful just because of who Goldman Sachs is, uh, it being uh, at that time the preeminent and still is a preeminent investment bank. But, but on this topic— Michael Dell, even Michael Dell, one of the Forbes 400 richest people on the planet, had a career setback. Steve Jobs, Apple's now arguably one of the highest market capitalized companies in the world, had a career setback. And so people have these setbacks. People do not remember that the operating system that Bill Gates developed for IBM failed. He had to borrow some money from his dad and buy an operating system from digital research. See, the millennials don't remember that, but there was a company in Seattle called Digital Research. They had a product called DR-DOS, Digital Research Dis Operating System. Well, Mr. Gates bought that from them. He changed the name to MS-DOS, and he got the company started. He became the richest person in the world. I mean, he sat on the top of the richest list for 35 years. This is a brilliant entrepreneur that was capable of making an ad adaptation, uh, but his life wasn't perfect. And that's one of the big things about hopping over the rabbit hole, trying to avoid the real disasters, but recognizing that a lot of things are going to go wrong. Uh, so available on Kindle, available on iBooks, going to be in bookstores next week. I'm uh, going to do some publicity for this. I'll be on Fox and Friends next week and Hannity, and uh, I'm doing with all due respect. I got a, a big uh, lineup of uh, publicity for the book, so I ask you please to consider buying one. Uh, write to us. You can subscribe to this podcast uh, on iTunes. You can rate and review the podcast. Uh, tell me what you think about the book, especially if you don't like it. I like I like getting that feedback. It helps us become better. Uh, and please share this podcast with your friends and coworkers. Uh, uh, maybe they'll enjoy listening to some of these stories. Remember that you can email us at podcast at skybridgeinsights.com and let me know uh, what you think. Follow me at, at Scaramucci. And if you can, don't forget to watch Wall Street Week. Uh, I was very happy last night, okay, because I was doing Sean Hannity from the Waldorf story across the street, and I got off the uh, stage, and there was a husband and wife couple from Miami, and the woman came over to me, and she said, hey, I want you to know I have a Nielsen box in my house. And then I looked at her husband. I said, do you need me to shine your sh shoes, sir, because I'm ready to shine your shoes? She said, no, you don't need You don't have to worry. She said, I said, can you do me a favor? Can you just... Put the DVR, set it on the Nielsen box, and even if you're not home, can you make sure your TV's on for me? Even if you have it on in the spare bedroom? She goes, of course I'll do that for you. The point I'm making is that uh, be nice, everybody. There's no reason why uh, it's 11.15 at night. I was a little tired, worked a long day, went to the debate. But you know what? It was great to meet her and her husband. It was great to say hello. It was great to make that connection. So, so in any event, please watch Wall Street Week. Uh, uh, Friday night's 8 p.m., Saturday, 9 a.m., Sunday, 9 a.m. Until next time, have a prosperous week. Thank you.